holiness is not me trying to be something I'm not. Holiness is me dying to self and allowing Christ to be who he is in and through me. He's inviting us to a level of intimacy with him in which our life actually reflects his life and his holiness. We can live in victory over the struggle because holy is who we are. Christ can set us free. Holiness is not a demand of God to be achieved. Holiness is the invitation of God to be enjoyed. Well, I love your pastor, and I know you do too. You have... Uh, you have one of the greatest pastors and wives in, in just in the entire country. And I know that uh, you know that, and some of you have never had a pastor. He's been your only pastor, so you haven't got anybody to compare him to. But I promise you, after these two days, you'll say, please, come back. Well, please, come back. <laughs> uh, he's one of the greatest missiologists, and uh, he's a man that has the world on his heart. And I am, want you to know this is not preacher talk. I know when you talk to preachers, they're just glad to be anywhere. So, uh, you know, they, say, they always start off by saying, it's so good to be here. Well, they're good to be anywhere, but I'm just telling you, I, I'm really glad to be here. You're probably wondering how you get selected to be one of the very few that get to do an Awaken conference, and I'll just let you in a little secret here. Your pastor, Vance, called me and said, Pastor Ken, do you believe in free speech? I said, I sure do. He said, good, I'd like you to give one January 26th. I'm sorry. That's, that's how you get here. That's... That's just how you get here. Well, you have, uh, you have been involved in an incredible move of God these past 30 days, and I've asked the Lord to, if I could just be a part of, uh, of that. And so if you have your Bibles, I want you to take uh, to the Gospel of Mark and go to chapter 6. Let me tell you something about revival. Revival is not just getting the ceiling off, it's getting the walls down. You, you don't want to be just right with God. You want to be right with each other. That, that's, that's what holiness and revival is. That's, that's a work of grace. That's a work of God. You can't earn it. You can't work your way into it. It's something that, that, that God does. And so what I want to do today is I want, to, I want to tell you a story out of Mark chapter 6, but I want to not only talk to you about Mark chapter 6, I want to talk to you about a, a king. In fact, I want to talk to you about two kings today. And I, and I want to throw my story in there with it, so let's just call it two kings and a prince here that we're going to talk about today. And uh, I, I want you to know that um, the story opens up in Mark chapter 6 with him wondering who Jesus Christ really is. Now, there's a guy who was at the palace by the name of Herod. It was not only a palace, but it was a prison, and, and, and King Herod was a wicked man. But they began asking the question, and so when you look with me at verse 14, they began asking the question who Jesus was, and Herod's got an opinion of who he is. Read with me in verse 14 if you have your Bible. If you can share it with somebody, that'd be great. Might even be some verses come up uh, on the IMAX here, but look at verse 14. Now, King Herod heard of him, for his name had become well known, and he said, John the Baptist is risen from the dead, and therefore these powers that work in him. Others said, no, it's Elijah. 
And others said, no, no, it's one of the prophets. It's, it's the prophet or one of the prophets. But look at verse 16. But when Herod heard, he said, no, no, this is John whom I beheaded. He has been raised from the dead. Now, let me let you in on a little secret here. There was two groups of people in Jesus' day. There was Pharisees and there were Sadducees. Now, the Pharisees believed in the miracles. The Sadducees, they didn't believe in miracles, and they didn't believe in the resurrection. That's why they were sad, you see. I can just remember. And, and Herod is a Sadducee. He doesn't even believe in the resurrection, but let me tell you something. A dirty and a troubled and a buried conscience, good theology will help you with a warped conscience. And, and, and something's, something's, something's wrong inside King Herod. It may be what's wrong with you today. People are asking, who, who is this man? Somebody said, I'll tell you who is. He's Elijah. I wonder why they said that. Well, Elijah was a man that, that did miracles. Some people said, well, I, 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 think, I think he was one of the prophets. Maybe Jeremiah because he always wept. No, but let me tell you something, Herod. They said, Herod, who do you think he is? He said, I, I, I don't think I know who he is. They said, well, who do you think he is? He says, he's John the Baptist. I said, really? Mm -hmm. I won't tell you why, because I, I cut off John the Baptist's head, and he's come back to haunt me. You, you know what the problem with this guy is? He's got a dirty conscience. You know what the Bible says in Proverbs 28? Proverbs 28, verse 13 says this to you and me. Proverbs 28, 13 says, whoever, now watch this, it says this, he that covers his sin shall not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them shall have mercy. Now, let me tell you what the proverb said. This is a proverb for you and me. Whoever covers his sin will not prosper. In other words, what you cover, God will uncover. What you uncover got a cover. But, but, if you, but, but if you, with a, with a dirty conscience and, and with a defiled conscience and with a torn-pinted conscience and, and, and sin in your life that you just refuse to get right or you won't confess, let, let me tell you something. It does something to you. And if you bury it, God says, I, I promise you one day I'll unbury it. But now listen, if you uncover it, I'll make you promise I'll, I'll cover it. I want to talk to you today about when your conscience wakes up. As you're thinking of your theme, awaken. I want to talk about your conscience waking up. What is your conscience? Some people say, well, let your conscience be your guide. Is that good or is that bad? Well, it depends. You see, if your conscience is filled with the Holy Spirit of God, that's a good thing. Let your conscience be your guide. But if your conscience is just a natural conscience and it's not filled with the Spirit of God, that's not a very good thing. What is your conscience? But what is it? Well, one little boy said it's something that makes you tell your mother before your sister does. That's, that's, that's what, but is that what it is? I, I submit to you it's a warning light that, that goes off in your soul. It's a moral beeper that begins to beep when you've done something wrong. It's, it's a spiritual walkie-talkie that gets disconnected from you and God that when you begin to talk, 
Paul said in Romans 2.15 that it was a, an inward witness in your heart because God has put the, the law in your heart. Every one of us have the law of God in our heart. And it's an inward witness to our heart. That, watch this. He says in Romans 2.15 that either accuses or excuses our actions. In way of introduction, let me just give you four things you can do with your conscience. First of all, you can have a dirty conscience. Paul said in, in Acts 24 and verse 16, I, I strive to have a conscience, watch this, I strive to have a conscience void of offense towards God and towards men. See, that's the cross, vertical, horizontal. Let me ask you this, you, you have a conscience today that's void of offense towards God, then you're clean. Do you have a conscience that's void of offense towards anybody else? Maybe your conscience is saying something right now. Maybe if I just mentioned a girl's name right now, it would, it would wake up. Maybe if I just mentioned a street or a place or a year, it, your conscience would wake up. Maybe on your way to church. You, you know, people fight on their way to church. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, they try and they pull up and the people out there go, welcome to Hope. And you go, man, it's so good to be here. And the kids are in the back seat going, ah. Because you've been fighting all the way there. Oh, we just love Jesus. Let's go in and worship Jesus. Hurry up, we're going to get to church and talk about the love of Jesus. <laughs> and so right now you're sitting there and you and your wife are kind of. <laughs> and boy, during the welcome, we're used to kind of turn and kind of kiss each other. And, now it's... and you're hugging everybody else. <laughs> See, you, you, you can have a dirty conscience. Do you know that you can have a defiled conscience? You know, that, that's probably not any of you in here, but the Bible says in Titus verse 1, chapter 1 and verse 5, it says, to the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Watch this. But their mind and their conscience is defiled. Titus 1, 15. You, you, can, you can defile your conscience. You can dirty your conscience. Do you know you can dull your conscience? Do you know in John chapter 8 when they brought that woman that was caught in the very act of adultery and they threw him at Jesus' feet? Do you know what? They brought the woman to Jesus and Jesus said, he that's without, among you that's without sin, you cast the first stone. And then the Bible says in John 8 9, watch this. Then they that heard it was convicted by their own conscience. And they went out one by one beginning from the oldest to the youngest. You see, what he said when he did that, he that's without sin, he began to awaken a dull conscience. See, you, see, you, you don't want just two days of meetings. You can have two days of meetings in a hotel. See, that's not what Pastor Vance and his staff is asking God to do. They want God to do something. Now, let me just tell you something about the church. This is the only place that you have to admit you're bad before you can get in. So you're in good company. <laughs> now I know right now some of you are saying, well, these folks are a lot worse than I am. Listen, can I tell you something? Dead's dead. There's no degrees of it. <laughs> and so what we're trying to ask God to do is, God, would you awaken something in us? Those of us who know the Lord and been walking with the Lord for a long time, and those that are just fresh walking with God, you have a conscience, and it can be defiled. It could be dirty. It could be dull. But let me tell you something. Don't ever let your conscience be deadened. You can deaden your conscience. 
you know where I read that? I read that in 1 Timothy 4 too. Paul said in the last days, Timothy, he said some people will depart from the faith and they will heed to themselves. He said deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. And then he said in verse in chapter 4, verse 2, 1 Timothy, speaking lies and hypocrisy, watch this, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. You know what that means? They don't feel anymore. I have people in my church that come every week, and they'll say things like this. You know, preachers don't preach like they used to. You're going, you know, mister, some preachers preach like they used to. Is it possible you don't hear like you used to? <laughs> Is it possible when the Spirit of God used to speak to you and say, listen, apologize to your wife. Apologize to your kids. Hey, listen, what you said was wrong. Hey, what you did was wrong. Well, let me tell you something about Herod. Herod went from having a conscience at one time in his life that was stirred to a conscience that was seared. And that may be some of you today. Instead of confessing it, you conceal it. Now remember Proverbs, whatever you cover, God says one day I'm going to cover it. You're probably tired of hearing this and every preacher probably used it, so just bear with me for one more time. When I came to, you know, coming to Vegas, that has a world of its own. I'm entering your world, you know. When you come to Tampa, we got our own little deals too. So, and 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 so when you're going through the airlines and they read, they go, "Oh, Vegas." I always hear two things. Hey, don't lose too much. That's one of the first things they say. And then you tell them you're a preacher, and they say, "Well, they don't win too much." <laughs> and and then then they'll say something like this. You can even finish it with me. What happens in Vegas? That's not true. It's not true in Tampa. No, no, no. See, what's, what's secret here in Vegas is open scandal in heaven. And what's secret in Tampa is, is open scandal. No, no, it's, it's not true. It has nothing to do with Vegas. That's where I live. That's where, in Boulder, Colorado, that's where I live. It, it, that's, that's the truth. And let me tell you something about Herod. Herod's got a conscience because he's done something wrong. And, he, and he's, it starts out very, very troubled. And then it gets trapped. And then it gets tormented. And he's got an opportunity to make it right, just like you do. But you know what he does? He covers it. But God has a way of waking it up. Now, let me tell you what, I'm, I'm, I'm not a preacher that's after numbers and we give the invitation just a few minutes and we ask people to stand and we respond to what God says and that may be that may be brand new to you. Let me just tell you something about preachers, like your pastor and this pastor. We don't we're not counting nickels and noses here. We're not looking around going, well, you know, twenty five people no, 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 no. Listen, this is between you and God. I don't judge my effectiveness of how I communicated to how many come forward or how many, I just don't, because that's a work of God. God does that. And you might want today to, to come forward and just, nothing magical about these steps, but turn these steps into an altar might be your way of just saying, you know, I want to, do, I want to uncover it. I want to confess it. I want to, I want to get clean. Now, now my, my purpose isn't trying to put you on some type of a guilt trip. That, that's, not, that's not what I'm after. I'm not trying to guilt you into something. See, see, let me tell you something about Satan. The difference between Satan and Jesus is this. 
Satan is big on accusation. The Holy Spirit is big on conviction. There's a difference between Holy Spirit conviction and satanic accusation. Let me say that again because if you don't get this down early in your Christian life, you're going to go through ulcer gulch for a long time. There's Holy Spirit conviction and there's satanic accusation. See, if you hear that, you just feel guilty. You don't even know what you feel guilty. In fact, you weren't feeling guilty until the preacher started preaching, and you're just going, you know, I don't know, I'm just, I just feel dirty. Let me tell you something. That's not God. That, that's Satan. See, he, he just makes you generally feel bad. Now, when the Holy Spirit puts his finger on it, he's real definite. He goes, here, ah! Yeah, yeah I thought that's where it was. I thought. Like the guy who went to the doctor and he said, Doc, he said, I mean, everywhere I, everything I touch, I hurt. I touch my arm, it hurts. I, I touch my leg, it hurts. I touch my chest, it hurts. He said, look at it. He said, you got a broken finger. <laughs> See, when, when God puts his finger, that just relief. Work with me. I'm from Tampa, all right? God, God, God's real specific. Now, it, it happened a long, long time ago for some of you, but you see, what, what God's wanting to do with awakening is he's wanting to do something. God put his finger on this, and Herod's going, I, I know who he is. What happened here? Well, we'll, we'll keep reading. You're still in Mark 6. It says in, uh, in verse 17, Herod himself had sit and laid hold of John and bound him in a prison for the sake of Herodias' brother Philip's wife, for he had married her. Because John had said to Herod, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Therefore, Herodias held it against him and wanted to kill him. But she could not. Now, now let, let me just take you through some phases of your conscience. First of all, there's what I call a bothered conscience. A bothered conscience. Her Herod's palace, I told you, was also a prison. And he had John the Baptist arrested. And there's a reason for that. See, apparently, Herod is visiting his brother Philip, and he falls in love with Philip's wife, Herodias, and he actually steals her from him. And he's living in an unlawful marriage. And John the Baptist, that prophet, says, Hey, what you're doing is unlawful. In fact, in the tense of the verse here in this section, just the way the tense is, it means he repeatedly did it. I mean, while Herod's walking with his adulterous relationship wife that he stole from, from his brother, he's, he's, he's yelling out, John the Baptist, hey, hey, you know what you're doing is wrong, don't you? Hey, it's unlawful. And Herodias is going, we just need to kill him. And Herod's going, well, well I know, but. See, he's broken God's law and his conscience is bothering him. You, you, remember, you remember Gomer, this is a theologian for you. Remember Andy of Mayberry? You remember Gomer when, when, when Barney wrote him out a ticket and he wanted to read? Nod your head. Look intelligent here. Do you remember when, he, when, when, he, when Barney did that U-turn and Gomer runs out and goes, Citizens Reyes, Citizens Reyes, Citizens Reyes. Remember that one? Yeah. That, that's what John's doing here. Hey, 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 set us in the rayas, set us in the rayas. And somebody goes, we, we gotta, we got to quiet this guy here. This is not good. And he's done something very unlawful because he's a wicked king. But listen to me, listen to me, drop close. 
There was another king that did the same thing and he wasn't wicked. In fact, he was a man after God's own heart. I didn't say that. The Holy Spirit of God said in his word. His name was King David. You know the story, some of you. This first sin was, was a heated, passionate sin. And, and then when he stole Uriah's wife, Bathsheba, he made sure as a king that he was on the front lines and Uriah died and he murdered him. He, he not only killed the man, he murdered him. Now see, if you ever hear it and you ever think, you know, I've gone too far and God could never do anything with me. And I, I, this church thing, it's about people who are good and they're getting better. That's not me. Let me tell you something. You ought to read the book. Because you're not the only one that starts out with a, with a bothered conscience. But see, that bothered conscience turns into, Dave, for David, a bottled conscience. And for a year, could you imagine, Pastor Teddy, could you imagine, Pastor Teddy, for a year, stopped leading worship and stopped writing songs of praise. Could you imagine? That's what's happened to David for a year. And people are murmuring around the palace going, hey, hey, have you, have you heard David play his harp lately? I haven't heard David sing, have you? No. See, because David's got a conscience that's gone from being bothered to being bottled. And that's why, if you have your Bible, you can go to it. If not, maybe, maybe the verses will come up. But Psalm 51, let me just read to you in Psalm 51, in verse 1 through 3. Listen to what, listen to what David says. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Now, now, now stay with those verses because I want to point out something to you. He mentions sin in three different words there. Do you see it? Blot out my transgressions is one word. Wash me from my iniquity. That's another word. And then I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Now, let me tell you why he did that. Because he saw sin... First of all, as a transgression. And then he saw it as iniquity. And then he saw it as sin. And what he says here is he says, he, he says, I, I want you to blot out my transgressions. And you see, the, the, the word transgressions, it, it, it means I've crossed the line. I've done something wrong. I've crossed the line. Exodus 20.13 says, I shouldn't murder. I did that. I crossed the line. Exodus 20.14 says, you should not commit adultery. I crossed the line. This is what David said. And he saw his sin blot out. He saw it as a debt. And he said, somebody needs to get rid of my debt. I, I can't pay it back. But you see, in this bottled conscience, it starts to wake up. He sees it not only as a debt, he sees it as dirt. He didn't just say, blot out my transgressions. He says something else. He says, wash me from my iniquity. And that word iniquity means twisted, perverted. It means I've done something wrong. I've, I've twisted God's beautiful thing here. I've, marriage is, and I've twisted it. You know, sometimes we, we are so critical in the church and we're big in the church about talking about certain kinds of sexual sins and we'll say well you know that's a perversion and we'll say well you know homosexuality is a perversion L listen to me listen to me biblically any sin outside the bonds of marriage of God is a perversion premarital sin is a perversion post pre 
But you see, David saw it as not just a dead, he saw it as a dirt. And then he said, you need to wash me. But he sees it as something else. He sees it as sin. And that sin is that same Romans 3.23 that says all of us have sinned. All of us. And falling short of the glory of God means miss the mark. And he sees it not only as a debt. And he sees it not only as dirt. But he sees it as a disease. He sees it as a debt that needs to be canceled. He, he sees it as dirt that needs to be cleansed. He, he sees it as a disease that needs to be cured. You know why? Because his, his conscience is waking up and something's happening. And he said in verse 3, my sin is ever before me. See, when your conscience wakes up, you, 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 every time Herod went to bed at night, it, it wakes up. It's right before him. And David said, it's always before my eyes. And he said in verse 8 of Psalm 51, oh Lord, make me to hear joy and gladness. I don't hear it anymore. It's before me. It's before my eyes. It's before my ears. He says in verse 10, help me to know wisdom in the inward parts. It's in my mind. He says, oh God, he says, create in me, in verse 10, a clean heart. It's, it's, in, it's right before my heart. And renew a right spirit. It's in my heart. It's in my spirit. It's in my mind. It's in my eyes. It's in my ears. I can't get it out of my head. And you see, that's what a dirty conscience does. That's what a dirty conscience does. See, God wants to wash you and cleanse you. And God wants to blot out the debt because you can't pay it back, and God wants to cure you. And Herod's conscience is bothered, and his conscience is, is bottled, and, uh, and what's this? He's saying, oh God, I've done something wrong. I know who he is. I, you know, I know who he is. He's John the Baptist, he's come back from the dead, and he's coming back to haunt me. He who covers his sin will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes shall have mercy. And he bottled it. And he put a cap on it. And you know what God does during two days of worship and awaken? He starts shaking it up. And these past 30 days as you've been on your own journey of holiness, God's been reminding you. And right now you're like, I just don't know what to do with it, preacher. And see, it's not just for people like you. It's for people like me. I was already in the ministry when God revealed some things in my own life that went right. I, I was on my own awakened journey. I was in a spiritual retreat in a, at a retreat place in Florida, and I lived in Illinois. I, I played college baseball at Eastern Illinois University. That's where I met my beautiful wife. She was a trainer. I hurt my arm, and she worked on it, and it never got better. And I'm in, we're in the ministry, and I'm going through what I call it a sin sheet. Now, what that simply means is we were filling out our own questions, and we were on a place all by ourselves, and we were asking questions. And one of the questions was this. Is there anything that you own that doesn't belong to you? And I mean, I didn't have to guess. Because I had opened that door so many times in my bedroom, and I had discovered all the baseball equipment that I had rationalized, that I'd stolen from property at Eastern Illinois University. 
I, was, I lived 22 miles. I was pastoring in a church in KZ, Illinois, 22 miles from Charleston, Illinois, where Eastern Illinois University is. Tony Romo, Sean Payton, Brad Childress, EIU. Just thought I'd throw that in. <laughs> Roll Panthers. Okay, back to my sin and not Vance's sin. Um, so I, so I, I was, uh, I, I kind of rationalized in my heart. See, when God starts shaking it, you want to do something about it. And the last thing you want to do is let the cap out. And God said, you got to take all this stuff back. I said, but God, I mean, every athlete does this. They take, I mean, you know, baseball, good shirt, shorts, it's, I mean, jersey, it's, it's what we do. He said, that's not what my children do. So I went home, and I knew to get right with God and be right with God, to not have a conscience void of offense toward God. Man, I put it all in the bag, and I was driving 22 miles back to meet Russ Waltrip, the, the manager, the equipment manager, hosted over and I had an idea. I was, I was going to say, Russ, I was cleaning out my drawer, and look what I found. And the Holy Spirit said, you want me to kill you right here? You can't do that. Because that would make you the hero, and you're a thief. And I walked in, and I put a couple of these bags on the thing, and Russ said, and they called me Pinto. That was kind of my nickname in college. He said, Pinto, what, what are you doing here? I said, Russ, I've got something I need to tell you. He took it and just poured both bags out, looked at me. I said, Russ, I stole these. I've come to ask you, would you forgive me? He said, Pinto? Hmm. He said, you know, about three weeks ago, he said, I got about four boxes of these stuff from some guy who wrote me a letter and said he, he got saved or something. He got right with God. And he said, he sent me four boxes. He said, you know, I just got to feel, if, if this whole campus would get saved, I'd get all my stuff back. <laughs> And then he said this, and it cut me to the heart. He said, is there anything else? See, he had every right to say that because I violated. I said, no, Russ. Would you forgive me? He said, Bento, I do forgive you. And I walked out and I felt clean. But you see, when the conscience gets bothered and then it gets bottled, the third thing it can do is it, it, it gets buried. And see, if I hadn't have done that, it would have got buried. It would have got buried. So one night, Herod's mind is muddled with wine and his eyes are blurred with lust. And he asked Herodias' daughter, teenage daughter, to dance at his birthday party. And she so incited him and ignited him that she said to him, hey, listen, whatever you want, up to half of the kingdom, I'll give to you. And she went to her mama. And it seemed like just yesterday she was dancing to ring around the rosies, pocket full of posies. And now she's gyrating to the heat of human passion. And the mom said, this is my chance. I want John the Baptist's head on a platter. 
And everything in you says, Herod, please don't do this. Herod, don't do this, but the pressure's there. He's already made a vow. And he gives a nod to the executioner. And they bring John the Baptist's head on a platter. And verse 26 says, Herod was exceeding sorrowful. And now his conscience is buried. And this hunted man is now a haunted man. See, you can eat the devil's corn if you want, but he'll choke you on the cob. He'll get you somewhere. And you know the next time we meet Herod in the Bible? Jesus is going to be crucified and he appears before Herod. And everything in you as you read it says, tell him, Herod. Tell him. Tell him. Just tell him. Just tell him. I mean, expel it. Just express it. I, I mean, ex tell him what you did. Expose it. Here it is. Tell him. But he says nothing. And the Bible says that Jesus said not a word to him. You know why? Because he wouldn't say a word to him. Now, let's talk about your conscience. Does God forgive our sins? Psalm 130 says he does. Psalm 130 says, if you, Lord, should mark out iniquities, who could stand? But there's forgiveness with you that you may be feared. So why don't you do that today? Can I just give you some rationalizations of why we don't do that? Right, right now, see, what the enemy's doing is he's, he's talking to you. He's giving you excuses, but not any good reasons. And he's saying something like this. You know, that happened a long time ago. Do you still remember it? Hmm. Well, the one I moved, I, I wronged, I moved, he's moved away. I don't even know if I could get a hold of him. Okay. You know, things have gotten better between us. Could that be God's way of preparing it to make it easier for you to say I was wrong? I'm just being too sensitive. I, I didn't really do anything wrong. I'm just being too sensitive. No one's perfect. No one's perfect. I don't know who this preacher is they brought in, but nobody's perfect. I, no, they wouldn't understand, Pastor. If I went to them, I mean, they wouldn't even understand. Listen to me, listen to me. Private sins, private confession. I'm not asking you to walk up here and unload your daughter laundry of something that we have no idea about. Personal sins, personal confession. If you've done something to your family or somebody else, you, you make it right with them. Public sins, public confession. And, and it could be that what God is saying to you is this. Don't worry about them understanding. Your job is to obey. My job is to make them understand. But it's, but it's money I don't have. I'd have to make right. Let, let God take care of that. This is about getting right with God. This is about having a conscience void of offense toward God and, and towards man. And so what God does here is God says, let's deal with your conscience. Now let me close. How do you do that? Well, one last passage of scripture. It's First John. You've heard it. You've read it. Somebody shared it with you. And I'm just going to tell you real quick and then we're going to walk out here. How do you get right with God? When he awakens your conscience, what is it right now you're thinking? How do you do it? Well, the Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, you remember, if we confess our sins, he's faithful. Say it with me. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
Now, now see, John's like he's been in a meeting and he says in verse 6, if we say, he says in verse 8, if we say, he says in verse 10, if we say, and he's talking about the evolution of a lie. If we say we have no sin, we're, we're walking in darkness and we're not practicing truth. In other words, he's saying when you're around people, you're saying, well, listen, I don't have any sin. Liar, liar, pants on fire. And then in verse 8, he says, but you know, it gets worse. He says, if we say we'd have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Now we're lying to ourselves. And then in verse 10, if we say, I don't have any sin, we're making God a liar. We, we lie to God. You lie from somebody from within. You lie from somebody without. You lie with somebody from above. And you're saying, well, I don't have any sin. And then he says this, if we confess our sin. So remember this, three things. Number one, be aware of your sin. But the second thing is agree with your sins. Be in agreement with your sins. If we confess, the word confess comes from two Greek words, homo legeo. It means the same as, it means to say the same as. I agree, I don't argue, I agree, it's sin. I call it what it is. I name it and I nail it and I say, God, I want to awaken. You've awakened, I got to get rid of this sin. Be aware of it, be in agreement with it. He's faithful and just to forgive your sin. Why? What's this? Because he's already paid for all of your sin. Why would, you, why would he want you to keep paying for it when he paid it? You had a debt you could not pay. And he paid it for you. I want to show you what that looks like for about two minutes here. So I want you to watch this screen. There's there's subtitles, so don't think you're missing anything. There's subtitles. We'll all read it. It it takes place in Thailand, but I want you to watch this. Watch this. This is what I'm talking about right here.
there's a difference with you and me and this this little story here. 792,000 bots, about $25,000 American currency. And there's nothing we could have ever done to pay our sin debt. And God didn't pay it off because you did something good for him. He did it when you had nothing else to pay and everything in your life was for sale, including your own soul. So let's go back to the story. When your conscience awakens and it's dirty and it feels defiled and you can't wait to get rid of it, what do you do? First John tells us. You become aware of your sin. Secondly, you agree with your sin. And then here's the last thing and I close. You have to have an advocate for your sin. The word advocate is the word lawyer. Now, chapters in the Bible, they're not inspired. They put them there so preachers wouldn't preach too long and we do anyway. So 1 John 2 is a continuation of 1 John 1, and it says, My children, I write to you that you sin not, but if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, who is the propitiation for our sins, but not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. And that word advocate is the word lawyer. Now, I don't know if you need, I've ever had needed a lawyer or not, but I would think it'd be a good day for you if you walked in the courtroom and your lawyer looked at the judge and said, hi, dad. I would think that's a good day for you. I'd think that's a good day for you. And one day I was brought into that court and the prosecuting attorney was Satan himself. And he said, your honor, you said you would judge sin and you wouldn't let one half of one sin go unpunished. And if you did, you'd have to topple from your throne of holiness. And this defendant, Ken Witten, is a sinner. He has lied. He has lusted. He has committed every sin in his heart that people commit in their body. And he's condemned to hell by your standard. And I dropped my head because he's right. And my attorney, Jesus Christ, says permission to approach the bench. And he says, Your Honor, everything that the prosecuting attorney said about my client is true. But he confessed it to me. And I bear in my hands the marks. And no man should be judged twice. And you said anybody who gets in me would be right with you. And I plead my own blood. He's a liar. He's an accuser of the brethren. I took care of it at the cross. And he says, we'll take a recess and we'll come back. All rise. And when the judge comes in, he says, Ken Witten, stand. And I'm trembling. I'm going to hell. I know I am. I can't get right with God. If you were to mark iniquities, who could stand? And he said, Romans 8, 1. Ken Witten, lift your head. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Go. Be free. 
And that's how my sin was forgiven. 